Well, hey there, I'm Liz St. Jean, and this is the Rise in Your 9 to 5 podcast, where I help quietly ambitious leaders who want to have meaningful and fulfilling careers, making an impact in the world. It's where strategy meets intuition to become a better leader with more joy, less stress, and endless impact. So let's break free from perfectionism, imposter thoughts, and that inner rule keeper that keeps you in a career comfort zone. It's time to become unapologetically you and step into the life you are meant to live. We're going to talk presence, productivity, and having it all. Or as my four-year-old would say, we're going to take over the world. So let's get to it. Hello there, and welcome to today's show. This is a must-listen for everyone. Whether you you think you work, might work with a narcissist or your boss might be a narcissist or all those things where you think like, oh, I'm working with a narcissist. Maybe you're thinking that. In, in that case, you definitely need to listen to this. But even if you're not, you really should listen to this because as we explore this concept of narcissism in the workplace, we go beyond that individual level and we really get into how most corporate workplaces and most corporate management techniques actually promote, encourage, and set up a narcissistic environment, or at least an environment that encourages and promotes narcissism. So you're going to want to listen to this because even if no one you work with individually is, quote, a narcissist, there is a very good chance that your workplace is encouraging narcissistic tendencies. And you'll learn about that. And you'll also get some really good tips on how to address it or how to deal with it. I will give a little bit of a warning before we jump into it that there is some swearing in this episode. So if you've got little ears around, you may want to hit pause and listen to this another time. And there is one moment where we get slightly into a triggering topic. The word suicide comes up. Now, we don't talk about it very long, and it is more of an analogy, but I do want you to be aware that that does come up in the episode. So let me start with introducing our guest, and then we are going to jump right into things. So Nisanka Wickaramarachi is a trauma-aware life coach. She's a holistic practitioner. She's a mother, a poet, a writer and a narcissistic abuse survivor. She specifically works with parents who parent with a narcissistic partner or ex-partner, and she helps those people to preserve their sanity, take their life back, and support their children. Nisanka's experience of growing up in a highly narcissistic environment and later being in narcissistic relationships led her to reflect on her own life at a point where she was severely depressed and she was suffering from complex PTSD. Since then, she's been healing from those inner child wounds and narcissistic abuse to build a thriving life for herself and for her daughter. Thank you so much, Nisanka, for being here and and for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. And I'd love to hear what else would you love listeners to know about your story, about your journey to understanding narcissism and the impact it had on you, you know, either personally or, or in the workplace? And I think we pretty much summed it up, but I just want people to know, and I'm not trying to end 
kind of conversation here or bring this conversation to a closure. But I want you to open this conversation with the hope that whatever is happening in your life right now with narcissistic people, there is always a solution to that. Yes, I love it being solution oriented, even in the face of something that could be as difficult as, as narcissism. So one thing I wanted to talk about right off the top is that you often hear people talking about themselves or others. And honestly, I've caught myself doing this before, referring to themselves, oh, I'm a narcissist. Oh, I'm being a narcissist, right? And they're not usually referring to an officially diagnosed disorder. They're probably not referring to real narcissism. So I'm wondering when you're talking about narcissism and narcissists, what, what do you mean? Like, What does that mean? Okay. I'll start with why we actually end up referring to ourselves as narcissistic people, because often there is this myth about narcissistic people being overly confident and grandiose. And that is one aspect of narcissism. So whenever we kind of pay attention to ourselves, and this also goes back to the mythical story of Narcissus, who fell in love with his own image, and that's how the word narcissism actually came into being. And so we bring in relevance into our own story. So oh, I'm just such a narcissist. Wanting our needs met and celebrating our own success and beauty and, you know, all of that. None of that is narcissism, by the way. So I'll start with that. Feel free to blow your own trumpet and, and celebrate yourself and achievement without feeling guilty that you would end up being a narcissist. So let's, let's do that. Narcissism is a cluster of behaviors. It's, it's, um, it's a cluster of behavior um, that leads to the people in this particular person's life being abused as a result of uh, the way they behave towards these people. So there are sort of five main things that it's easier for you to, to remember. One is lack of empathy. So it's not it's not like not having empathy at all. It is lack of empathy. So narcissistic people can mirror certain level of empathy. They can go, oh, who are you? Oh, I'm so sad. You know, but that's as far as it goes. The next moment they will be like, oh, have you got the report ready for me? You know, it's all right. Your grandmother died, but have you got the report ready for me? So that's the, the, the cognitive empathy, you know. They don't have the compassionate empathy, emotional empathy. So that, that's number one. Number two is they're very entitled. So you might have work colleagues, you might have bosses, leaders, suppliers, you know, people, customers, you know, that you are dealing with. Very entitled. They're very entitled to your time. Because narcissistic people want four things um, at any given time. They want at least two of these four things. One, sex. One, service. Security. And supply. Those are the four things that they want at any given time. If you can provide two of them, and then they're quite happy. So they feel very entitled to two of them at any given time, whether your time, you know, service or anything. So entitlement. And the other thing is they are, um, they are vindictive. So if they don't get what they want, how they want, you know, how they want it, then you can see punishment destroying your reputation, discarding, all of this, you know, insulting you, playing other people against you, pitting people against you, so that they will go on a rampant of, you know, just, just very destructive behavior. Um, some people end up being completely destroyed and losing their careers because of these people. So that's so that vindictive behavior. They also have 
rage, dysregulated behavior. So they're constantly living in, um, living, trying to maintain their sense of grandiosity. According to Professor uh, Sam Bucklin, narcissistic people become narcissistic in their childhood as a result of um, childhood trauma, particularly with their mother not being able to be in tune with their needs. And they're, they're therefore, as a child, narcissistic people, when they were children, they, this is the, the, the phrase that Dr. Wagner used. He says, commit suicide emotionally. So they, they completely disconnect and commit suicide emotionally. So they forget, uh, sort of, uh, you know, they, they suppress their emotional needs. But as a result, they create, um, they create a, a sense of grandiosity to compensate what they don't have and what they've not received. So what this means is, right, they live in the sphere of being attacked by other people all the time. So they're, they're rageful. They have this dysregulated. They feel attacked. They feel like everybody's after to get to them. If you think about boss and if you're a very talented person instead of celebrating your talent if this person is a narcissistic person they will actually start undermining you you know putting you down and constantly criticize you invalidate you because they feel attacked and you know so and they also have rage so you will have some of these people shouting screaming swearing you know all of that um so that's the the rage and another thing is they can do all of this, but still be the victim, right? If you go to HR, if you go to HR and the narcissist can be like, I trained you, I inducted you, I did all of this to you, I gave you the job, I gave you a raise, I gave you a, a promotion. After all I have done, and this is a very common phrase, after all I have done for you, this is how you treat me. How ungrateful. I can't believe you went behind my back. You know, you got just too big for your boots. So they're you know, uh, they're, they're vindictive, but they're also the victim. They don't want to take any responsibility. Hence, you can't have a conversation with them. Um, so those are the kind of main things that you will see. So if you think about double standards, yeah, narcissistic people are always like double standard. They want you to understand them, you to communicate with them, you to empathize with them, you to be kind, you to, but they want for you. That is the narcissism in brief, which constitutes um, as narcissistic abuse. When somebody is going through this experience day in and day out, then you are being narcissistically abused. And it is, it is, a, it is an emotional abuse. It is sometimes coercive control. Sometimes it can be sexual abuse. And, and physical abuse as well. Therefore, it is domestic abuse. Narcissistic personality disorder is, um, I mean, pathologizing you know, human experience is not the best way to go forward. But DSM-5 uh, recognizes narcissistic personality disorder as a, as a diagnosable disorder. But not everybody who shows displaced narcissism can be diagnosed with the narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissism is, is a spectrum, so you can have very mild, moderate to malignant extreme narcissists. Mild narcissists are very annoying and they're like, 
you know, they're the ones kind of who tend to overly sexualize them and use uh, sort of sex appeal, beauty to to gain the adva- gain advantage. Moderate ones are the ones that you have enough good days to keep you hooked, and the bad days can can leave you traumatized. And the malignant type are the ones who can, yeah, go full blown exploiting the system to make your life very difficult. That's in brief. Oh my goodness. You just blew my mind because there's so much in what you said. So a lot of people I work with, a lot of my clients, I'm going to be sending this out to all my clients because a lot of my clients are very empathetic. Um, There's a term called high self monitors. So people who are very aware of how they come across and they and being uh, my people are very empathetic and also very positive, want to make positive contributions. And they're in a lot of workplaces where I don't think I ever really looked into narcissism in the workplace, but everything you're describing, like that is what they're coming up against. So can you speak a bit to that? Like the person I just described, who's, you know, very positive, very warm, wants to make the world better, right? They're, and they, they're very aware of how they're coming across, very highly emotionally attuned emotionally intelligent, but also with that high self-monitoring, like take it on themselves. What's going to happen for that person if they are working with people who have these narcissistic traits? Oh, what will happen to them? It really depends on the kind of the situation, but I'll generally give you an idea. So these people will steal your ideas, will present them as their own but they won't even regard you. They will dismiss you. Um, There is a process, by the way. So I'll take you through the process and you'll probably recognize yourself in this process. The process is they'll love bomb you. So if that's a company, company's culture. By the way, we are in these situations, particularly at workplace, because we promote narcissism at workplace because we think that high achieving, don't give a penny about a... Can I swear? Yes, you can absolutely swear. So, so you know, like people don't give a shit about, you know, like there are some people who don't, don't give a shit about the human beings. And, you know, when somebody falls pregnant, then they're considered as a liability. Some of these companies, I mean, you know, for them, these regulations that we have in place is quite unfortunate. It's, it's like it's such a headache for them. So, so going back to it, but they, they, that's not how it starts. Because if you go to an interview, and you see this straight away, like, well, well, we don't care about you being pregnant. Da, 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 da. If if that's how they come across, you're not going to accept the job. But that's not how it, it is. Just like in a personal relationship, you're going to be love bombed with all of the benefits, this, that, and the other. And we have this culture. You can help yourself to the cafe, you know, and free food. You know, we have free gym membership, and we go on annual trips. Then. You know, there is all of this love bombing, right? To begin with, you'll be, you know, you'll be amazing. You will fit into our team really well. We will give you a proper induction and and all the rest of it. Okay. So I know the drill because I was in management once in one of these compact companies. And okay. So next, narcissistic people then actually data mine about you. So they will watch you very carefully. They've got a knack data mining, right? They will get close to you, will get you to kind of release, release sort of, not release, uh, sort of relate to them and talk a little bit about yourself and, you know, especially if it's your immediate supervisor, you're actually having a bit of a personal relationship as well through supervision and stuff like that, then 
you will end up talking about your personal life a little bit, boom, right? So you're kind of in their depth, kind of, through this information. And then next is they will gradually start devaluing you, right? Uh, well, and it's a bit like, um, you know, start nitpicking a little bit. It's nothing is ever good enough. You'll be made to do that again, micromanaging, you know. So that's the devaluating, devaluing phase. That's the second phase. So the third phase is narcissistic. And you kind of tune into it. You're not going into this. You don't want to feed into it. You're resisting. You're challenging. That's it. You are no longer a supply for them. You're no longer prepared to serve them. Or you get pregnant or you get unwell. And, you know, something happens in your life that, you know, affects the productivity. And for the narcissistic person, you're at the discard level. They let you go kind of thing in their mind, you know. Because you're never a person to them. You're never a human being to them. They create a version of you in their head who serves them. So they're never really having a connection and a relationship with you. Okay? They're having a relationship with a version of you that they've created in their mind. Therefore, therefore, they can easily discard you. For an empathetic person, this can be really confusing. So what you will notice over a period of time is you start doubting yourself. You start feeling fearful of presenting a report or doing a, a workshop or uh, going out there and doing a public talk. Whatever it is, that job that you're doing, you start becoming really fearful and doubtful about yourself. And you start internalize this blame and shame uh, because narcissistic people project what they're feeling, that blame and shame to you so then you'll start chronically doubt yourself so you become indecisive you become demotivated that's not how the motivation works so then you start becoming demotivated sometimes lack of performance anxiety lonely as well because they pit other people against um, you because there is always a group of enablers uh, in, in a work environment who enables narcissistic behavior. So you might be actually feeling isolated by other people. So that could lead to loneliness and despair and grief and anxiety and depression. So you kind of end up becoming chronically ill, calling off sick, not wanting to go to work. So you kind of deteriorate who you are as a person. And you kind of go downhill. But then the narcissistic person gets a massive boost of supply because they get to control you. Come over here. You're not doing this well. You know, we need to make an assessment of your performance. I don't know what's going on. You're not doing, you know, uh, this is your baby. You're not treating it very well. You're not part of the team. So they repeat that conversation. You know, they, they make you feel really bad. But if you ever challenge them actually it's not me this is what's happening then the narcissistic people will just rage remember rage how dare you you speak you're not being a part of the team you're not even taking responsibility they will, so they will project you know they will project blame to you they will twist everything what happens to an empathetic person i mean chronically ill demotivated depressed um Lose sense of zest. And if, if, if this was your favorite job, you end up not liking it. And what's so, I think is so interesting, is I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this because um, it, 
you know, uh, so where we met through a, a, a hippie sort of area, yes. do you, do you know Petra? Do you know? I don't know if she, she, she's I'm in the, read, yeah, I think I've okay. heard the name. So she came on the podcast a couple months ago to talk about uh, feedback. And so speaking of swearing is a lot, of, we do a lot of swearing in that one. And we talk about like how pe- leaders and managers are, there's so much that's wrong with feedback, the feedback culture. And between what we were talking about there and what you just said, it almost strikes me as though a lot of workplaces, like the workplace itself has a narcissistic trait that people are experiencing. Like you, jo- and it's not just the individuals, but it's almost like it's elevated. Like you get recruited, you get love bombed by recruiters and the managers and you get wooed and wined and dined. And then you come in and there are all these like, you know, building you up at first and all this. And then you start getting feedback and the feedback starts to be, feel very nitpicky. And especially if someone's very high monitoring, you can start to feel like, well, maybe I'm not contributing. And, but then if you speak up against the culture, then you get, you get told, ah, oh, you need to watch your tone. You need to be respectful. That's not how we talk to each other in the workplace. So I'm kind of curious about like, you know, if we raise it almost to that like me- um, meso level is what it's called, like the, like the actual organization. What are your thoughts? Oh, good point. Um, if any, anybody's been through appraisals, if anybody's actually held an appraisal, you know what a load of is <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. Because we're doing swearing on this one too. So we called it, she calls it feedback fuckery. It's like, there's all this feedback fuckery all around in, in the workplace. And it's just so, and Gallup says this manager tools, like ever, like most managers. And also this is where it kind of raises above the individual kind of a you know, quote narcissist. Like it's almost to no fault. Like they've never been taught how to do it well. And most of the HR training, it's a, yeah. it's a very patriarchal uh, process of leader yeah. knows best. I'm yeah. going to evaluate you and tell you what you're doing wrong and need to improve. Yeah. There's no collaboration there at all. So if you think about it, I mean, if you want to address this, you need to address the entire culture, which is difficult. So you need to have people on top investing, um, investing in HR culture, investing in the culture, investing in the uh, recruitment culture all around to change this and not tolerate the work, workplace bullies, because narcissist is a workplace bully. Narcissist is a workplace um, victim, you know, uh, because either the, you also have all sorts of narcissistic people. So often we talk about, like, I have a feeling some of you might be picturing a bully kind of personality, but you also have a different type of narcissist. That's the victim. I can't believe it is happening to me, you know, so-and-so didn't give me a promotion because they feel so entitled to a promotion that they want to do anything. When they don't get it, they're like, oh, you got the promotion because you, you know, you're, you're sleeping with them or all sorts of things, you know, like they will accuse you and they will steal your thunder. They will actually then undermine you and your hard work hard work because they feel victimized by it you know I mean again I've worked with these people and I can tell you it's it's not a very healthy environment to be in so the the question you ask is what do I say about this the culture has to change the culture has to change and I'm not HR person I'm not in the leadership kind of coaching either but here's the here's the 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 fundamental fundamental thing or the the foundation of it all is you're dealing with the human being you're dealing with the human being this whole bullshit story about leave your problems 
behind the doors when you walk into the office space and be productive. That is absolute load of bullshit. Reason being, you're walking with your nervous system into the workplace, right? Unless you have a special locker where you can leave your <laughs> nervous system outside, <laughs> outside the office and like pick it up when you go home. Yes, that will apply. So you're dealing with human beings who are living in fight or flight or trauma response the whole time in chronic or flood of cortisol all the time, right? So imagine doing a feedback session with a person who is in this. But it's also, as human beings, hierarchy is okay. I'm not saying hierarchy is not okay. Sometimes there has to be somebody who, who needs to be held responsible. If you think about the army, there has to be a general who is commanding it. Otherwise, it goes to pots, right? So that hierarchy, I'm not criticizing the hierarchy. But what is the meaning in your company that you give to the hierarchy? Does hierarchy mean power? That's the problem. Does hierarchy mean responsibility? Then you might actually be onto something healthier. I love that hierarchy as responsibility and being clear on what that responsibility is. And we could do a whole segue. I won't take us down the rabbit hole, but for anyone listening, it's a piece of, it's about like shared leadership. There's a whole concept around shared leadership. The idea is that you don't just have one person in charge who knows best, who's everything is about that person is about inspiring and vision. And it all falls on that person. No, it's shared. It's a shared yeah. leadership, but I love that leadership as responsibility. I want to add something because where narcissistic people are in the top of the hierarchy, in power, they will share the responsibility of failure amongst everybody, but they will just pile up the responsibility or the celebration of the success just to them. They will not make you a part of that. So that is a really good indicator. If you have a person like that in leadership, likelihood is this person is either, you know, obviously oppositional, antagonistic, selfish, but possibly narcissistic as well. Well, and when you think about it, our, the, the system, most companies' promotional systems encourage what you're saying is being narcissistic traits. Which, it, which would be to you know, devolve blame because you don't get promoted for failure, right? Yeah. You get promoted for success. And with the star principle of HR, you're supposed to come up with one single outstanding example of how you accomplish something. I mean, everything about the system encourages narcissistic traits, which also to me really makes, I hear this a lot. So something I hear from my clients a lot is they, they feel so uncomfortable, especially with interviews, resumes to a certain extent, but especially interviews, because like a couple of things. One is it just feels uncomfortable to prop themselves up that much, right? To uh, I like to say shine your own star to take kind of take power back of the idea, but but it feels uncomfortable to them naturally. And but then also, especially once they're into leadership, they're sitting there, and if they're like almost at the opposite spectrum of narcissism, they're very aware that they didn't quote do it because their team did it. So it feels very uncomfortable to go into an interview and act as though they were this amazing person who did all these things and should get promoted. And I'm curious for your thoughts on that person who feels uncomfortable is like looking at this system that seems to encourage narcissism. You know, what what either advice or tips or thoughts would you like to share with them on how to how to approach that kind of system? 
okay, my, my first dance would be be authentic and, and call it out and be prepared not to get the job or be sacked. <laughs> that would be my thing. That, that is probably the ideal world. That's the thing. But in a not so ideal world where we still have to keep our jobs and, you know, we, we, we still love it. We still need the money and, you know, all of, or, you know, with all the responsibilities, I would say don't personalize it, but make a note of it. Um, make a note that this is a culture and not be drawn into it. Uh, so you don't have to be a part of it and you can step aside, be quiet, choose not to comment too much. And in doing so, if you are a very open person, you might end up killing your soul and killing your authenticity but that is something that you need to weigh up you know um if you can leave or if you can call it out then just say fuck it I don't want this job and I'm walking away then do that okay but not all of us are in a luxury position to do so so that's okay don't blame yourself for staying in a place like that uh, document everything document 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 evidence for two reasons one when you want to successfully challenge something, uh, a person, a colleague, a boss, or even HR or a company culture, you know, company as, as a big culture, then you still need documents. You can't go to a HR and say, oh, I think this person is narcissistic. Or you can't go to HR and say, I think I'm in a narcissistic culture. Uh, I think the moment you say the word, you lose, you lose your audience anyway. Um, and then you will be perceived as the narcissist. Um, that's that danger. So be careful, be cautious. Um, so document, unfortunately, everything, um, uh, must be documented. I know I have successfully challenged a workplace previously because I started noticing what you just said. And, um, I started saving all the emails, all the correspondence, all the reports and everything I've said. And even if I've heard from a colleague, I've seen a pattern, I started noticing and writing them down and I kept it for two reasons. One, although I was deeply gaslighted and I was chronically doubting myself, I, I still had a place where I could go and read something and see, uh, I, I, I am questioning this. I am questioning this. Not that I was fully empowered at the time, but I still saw certain patterns that wasn't healthy for me. So. That is so that will help you establish your own reality and prevent other people from gaslighting you. Um, gaslighting is a term, basically psychological abuse it challenges your reality. It, ch it makes you feel like you're the crazy person. So you end up chronically feeling pathologically doubtful and chronically doubtful. So that's, that's the gaslighting. That's number one. And number two is you have evidence. because. Any, any case, court case, anything, you know, you can't do without evidence. So you need to have evidence. Don't share what you feel with other people because there's enablers who's going to go and then obviously be in Bosses books and, you know, going to expose you, probably twist it as well. And, you know, uh, so don't share what you notice. So be quiet, but be smart, quiet. So be quiet, you know, be smart, quiet. It's like, I'm going to give you the shock factor, you know, if you want to feel a bit sassy about this whole process, imagine this, this is what I do. It's like, I'm going to make you look, I'm going to be a fool here. I'm going to make you believe, um, that I am the fool, but I'll give you the shock factor one day kind of thing. I'm not saying do it in a manipulative way, but be the smart one. Don't share anything because, you know, the moment you are exposed, the moment they get to know 
that you're doing something that that is going to be challenging to them is the moment they's gonna, they're going to start coming after you. Uh, it could be that they set you up for failure and they will build up a profile, uh, HR profile, and, you know, because they also have to comply with the, the legal route. So they will set you up for failure, so, you know, and then therefore and then they will build up a profile and they'll try and get rid of you. So do it quietly, do it quietly without sharing it. But evidence, 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 it's, it's like oxygen you take, evidence. And I can imagine like the evidence getting really clear and specific on non-disputable behaviors, like yes, right? Being like observable behaviors yeah. that no one could dispute. So it's not about, well, they're being like a narcissist to me. Like, well, that you can know, but you need to document exactly what the behavior was. Writing evidence, um, it, it's got to be factual. So I can share a tip or two. Uh, it's a date, time, date, exact time, exact date, exact time. And then you write the incident in a very factual term. Uh, a uh, expressed within inverted commas this. And I challenged, uh, no, I said this. And then you express it, you write it down in a, in a, in a very factual way. For example, so I, I've, I've got like ton of training on safeguarding and child protection. So I worked in, the, in teaching. And so how you record everything is it's very factual. There's no emotions involved. There's no opinions involved. There's no other perceptions involved. You do not interpret data. You just simply present data. That's best evidence. Yeah. What I'm thinking about, because I, um, I do often hear people, and they, people can't help it, but they end up interpreting motivations of other people. So it would be that as well, right? Is yeah. There yeah. Are you able to, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, are you able to give kind of an example that would be a, that, of what it would sound like to be very factual in the workplace? Yeah. Okay. Let me just give, give a couple of seconds. Now let me think about something. So um, back in the days I was diagnosed with um, severe depression and anxiety. One day I ended up in the A&E because I was actually driving to do something, but I somehow... Long story short, I ended up in the a because I turned the car and I went to the a &E. And I, from the a &E, I was waiting to be assessed by the crisis team. And this is when I was in a, in a managerial position. And I uh, wrote an email, two, two o'clock in the morning, by the way, waiting, sort of frantically, panically writing an email to my boss saying, I'm really struggling. I don't think I can do this anymore. I can't to work the following day because that's what I used to do, you know, like shake it all up and, you know, um, crisis team send me home. So I went to work and my boss found the email and, <clears throat> and somehow made it look like, and I would say gaslighted me to believe that I'm not well enough to be there. And I actually wasn't well enough to be there that I want to go home and rest, but made it look like I wanted to leave work. That's not what I wanted. I wanted a rest. Long story short, um, they gave my position without my resignation to somebody else. Right? Because they somehow put the words into my mouth, you know. So here's why I did. Right? No interpretation, right? I wrote the day incident attached to my email that I sent to o'clock. Uh, Dr. Snorts that I was in there. So gathered all the things there. And I said, so-and-so 
came up to me and informed me that they have been offered the position. I have not yet given my resignation. I am still under the contractual obligation that I'm the manager. You know, there is no evidence that you can provide that I have resigned my job. I have somehow sent this email two o'clock under stress, distress, waiting to be assessed by crisis team. Uh, at no point in my email, you can see the word I want to leave work. I've mentioned I am struggling, but I was referring to my mental health state then uh, that I was actually struggling. So that's how you present. So if you were to interpret, give your own interpretation, you're discarding me, you're not treating well, you're discriminating me. You know, that's your interpretation. That interpretation is for the HR to make. That is not for you to make. That is for the professionals to make. I think that because we get so emotionally attached, attacked in these situations, we feel so discarded. We go into this dysregulated, angry place. We end up writing these long emails like you're not treating me. But unfortunately, then that brings questions back to you about your motive. Because it's a dirty game, by the way. That's the reality. We don't want it to be. But it is, right? Even the HR is a bit of an umbrella term to, to cover up a lot of toxicity in our, in our world. Sad. So interpretation would be, you're not treating me well, you're discriminating me. That's your interpretation. But leave that for the HR to make. You're just not saying it. that. Yeah, just keep it absolutely factual. Yeah. I love that. So we've talked a lot of in the power situations, right? You, yeah, if yeah. your boss has these traits or or at the workplace level has the traits. But before we started recording, we talked about something that I thought was super interesting because you were flagging that you you can see these traits at all you know, different levels, not necessarily people in power. So I'm curious to pull on that thread. And so for people who are I mean, working with narcissists, people with narcissistic traits, right? either the colleagues or like you say, your suppliers or your clients, and especially curious where this term, use the term a vulnerable narcissist, you know, how that might show up for people and and how to address that. Okay, vulnerable narcissists are really, really difficult to spot, okay, because they're not the grandiose one. They're not the one who goes and says, I'm so great, I'm so charming, I'm so charismatic. They're not the kind of people who do that, okay? They come across like, I'm just so humble. You know, this is my humility. I'm just so empathetic. I'm so kind. I've just been victimized by a lot of things in my life. So as an impact, you all almost like, oh, you want to just go and hug and make sure that they, you know, we also have, by the way, we're all trapped in that drama triangle, triangle and we do that all the time within 30 seconds, you know. So we also want to go and like rescue them and comfort them. And that's our nature as empathetic people so the best thing to do in this situation is this may sound a little bit woo-woo but we do need woo-woo in our life and it woo-woo is science by the way pay attention to your body you will feel heavy with the uh, vulnerable narcissistic people you will feel their energy is very heavy so you will end up feeling that heavy 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 energy and this sort of odd feeling, something's not quite right, something's not right, something's not right. Your body will tell you any given time 
whether you're with the right person or you're with the wrong person, whether this person is dangerous, not the good or bad, you know, that's not how we need to interpret the, 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 the situations. But whether this person is healthy for you or not healthy for you, your body will always tell. There is that odd feeling, a feeling in your gut that something is not quite right. Or you might lose your sleep overnight. You might wake up thinking, I just, I don't know. But what we do is we tend to justify. And, and the moment you justify, catch yourself. Vulnerable narcissistic narcissists are people that will need the, the same four kind of things that I said one earlier, but they do it not by um, sort of being very grandiose about it, but by being a victim. They will suck the energy out of you. So you will feel drained with these people because they're constantly a victim. Oh, I've been treated so badly in my childhood. I just don't know, you know. But one thing that they will come up with constantly. So as empathetic people, you, you'd want to look after them. You'd want to empathize. But the next thing, oh, I just can't even do this because, you know, I've never had a chance to learn, right? That's another thing. And then something else like, oh, I can't go up there and speak about this. You know, I really don't want to because... In, in my childhood, something like this happened. And in my previous work, something like, that, like this happened. You will see the pattern of them not taking responsibility, but at the same time, and making you work for it, by the way. You know, making you work for it, by the way. And, but at the same time, it, they're not doing it in a sort of um, grandiose way. They're not, they're not ever going to say, do it for me. But they'll be like, you will do it for me, won't you? You know, you care about me. You will do it for me, won't you? Please, you know. But, but. Yeah. So let's imagine if we have someone, uh, so what's coming up for me is thinking about what if you're a leader of someone who's like that on your team, right? If you have someone who's, who's showing up in that way and, you know, either not, you know, not, not taking responsibility or has all these reasons, everything feels heavy. Do you have any tips for that leader of someone who's facing that? Oh my God, yes. Um, I, I was just thinking about it. Okay, uh, again, evidencing everything. You know, I'm just kind of trying to put myself in the leadership kind of position at the moment. Be human to them anyway. You know, you're, you're a human being. They're a human being after all. Be human. Don't personalize. Don't personalize. Be discerning of your empathy. And that's the best thing you can do. Be very, very discerning of your empathy. Um, and, and, and this is where I think it would help you to have coaching skills yourself, where you can then all work with a coach so that you can figure out these skills yourself. And then you use the coaching skills with these people to bring the responsibility back to them. Because this is not a personal relationship, so you can't go any further than that. But this is a, this is a work relationship, so they still have a job description. They still have a job to do. So you still, and as a boss, you're still responsible for their performance. So therefore, you still have to make this person work. <clears throat> therefore, so you're getting this person to look at that. Okay, so you said that. Not in so much in what you're going to do about it, because that sounds very unempathetic, but very much in, in holding that responsible. Yes, you shared that you haven't got the skills, but what can the company do to help you to get the skills? Just giving you an example. What can I do to get the skills? Here's my time. 
I've got 45 minutes, if I can help you. Within 45 minutes, tell me what exactly you would like me to help you with and then I can help you with. So you're being very bounded with your time, with your energy, with the skills that you're going to share. You're not going to take on their responsibility. So this comes down to, again, you as an individual, as a leader, if you're a rescuer, which I used to be, um, if you're a rescuer, then you're going to be like protecting that person from the head down and you're going to take on and you're going to change the roles and everything. If that person can't do that job, it is that person's responsibility to go, I can't be in this position anymore. I'm going to leave. But that's, that's, a, that's a decision that needs to come from that place. So you're going, here's your job description. What can we do about it? All right. What skills do you need? When are you going to, how, many, how much time are you going to commit to it? So very much giving the responsibility back to them. Be discerning of your empathy, boundary. Boundaries are very important. That's amazing because that also brings us full circle to what we talked about earlier. This idea of leadership and, and the, especially that hierarchy is knowing what you're responsible for and sharing leadership. This is exactly what you're talking about. You're sharing it back to that person. And I couldn't agree more about the coaching skills, just, just very fundamental coaching skills so that you're not telling someone, right? We want to shift, just like we were talking about earlier, shifting away from leader knows best, yeah, but still being aware of what is your responsibility. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, well, thank you so much for all of this. There's so much food for thought. I am going to be sending this out to a lot of people, generally speaking, but also all my clients. You need to listen to this right now. Um, But for those who are listening, who are thinking, because we know that you're an expert in co-parenting with a narcissist. So we might have people listening who are also like, ooh, how does this work at home? What do I need to know about at home? Where can they find you? Tell us about your starter kit. You know, tell us all the things about how people can find you and work with you. Okay, website is probably the best um, to go because I've written like a book in, in my website. You can read, you can get to know uh, me, my story a little bit and how I work through the website. But mostly you can get to know about what narcissism is, what it entails, what it means for you to co-parent with somebody like that. In that sense, in, in, in brief, you can't co-parent. So you'll, my, my, my whole teaching revolves around teaching you to parallel parent uh, with a narcissist. Um, and website is teaching with the Sanka is coaching with the Sanka. The Sanka spelled as N-I-S-A-N-K-A, coaching with the Sanka. I am on LinkedIn as Nisanka with Kramara. So there is a starter kit. So if you're struggling with co-parenting scenario at the moment, one of the first things that I hear from my potential clients and clients is like I'm exhausted. Um, and that person is trying to hoover me back in or trying to bait me back into an argument. Um, I don't know how to communicate with this person. So what I've done is I've actually given you tools to deal with all this kind of initial ongoing battles. So highly recommend that you download it at work through it and decide if I'm the right person and if my philosophy is the right thing for you because I can't make a narcissist see you, respect you and care for you or your children, by the way. So this is a journey that you're going to go through on your own with your children, um, but feeling empowered and developing deeper connections with your children. So that's the kind of my core belief. Um, you can download. I'm also on Instagram, co-parenting with a narcissist coach. That's my handle. Um, and you can find me on uh, 
Facebook. I have a Facebook group, by the way, co-parenting with the narcissist um, support group. That's the Facebook group. Join in. I do live sessions there. And oh, by the way, once a month on the second Wednesday of every month, I run a community space. So if you're in the co-parenting space or you've been narcissistically abused, it's a good space. It's free. Just come in, join in, have have fun, talk about it, offload. And, you know, I might answer a question or two and we get together. You can join it. It's all on the website, by the way. Awesome. And I, all those links are going to be in the show notes. So wherever you're listening to this, check out the show notes. Got links to all of it. Nisanka, thank you so much. So much food for thought. So appreciate having you on the show. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Now, before you go, make sure you click to follow the show. This way, you don't have to go looking for the latest episode. I'll come to you. Just click the plus button or the follow and you'll get the latest episode fresh off the press. Thanks again. And remember that you are amazing. Now get out there and rise.